0: All right, welcome to the Exodus of Magic, uh, episode eight. We're going to talk about the rule of cool. My friend Jeff is back. Uh, and for those who don't know, the rule of cool is a philosophical idea. Some some groups will, will do it, some don't. It's largely at the behest of the DM. Uh, and what the rule of cool is, if you do something as a character that is so utterly ingenious that... Say that the module doesn't have an answer for what you've done, or or it says you you've done something that in theory shouldn't be possible because they never play tested it to that point, or something so utterly ridiculous happens on a roll of the die. The, the DM finds a way to incorporate that. I mean, it is about adventurers doing amazing, dare I say, epic things, uh, things that give their characters renown, and the rule of cool is usually the. You know, we worked together, and I, I killed the dragon. I jumped up and grabbed the dragon, and just wrestled him to the ground myself. Right. Things that, uh, and and I, I mentioned this. I've, I'm fortunate to have a lot of rule of pool moments. I had a Goliath who took down a colossal <laughs> dragon, wrestling him, took him to the down uh, to the ground, and using the the wrestling class, three rounds, you know, dragging down. Uh, and it was one of those so utterly ridiculous, but the die rules were there, and it just... DM didn't try to deus ex machina. Uh, so, Jeff, what are your opening thoughts on the rule of cool? So,
1: I mean, you got a really good basis there about it um, in the general sense, but I feel more importantly it comes down to the DM less to implement it overall, but everybody at the table is going to have their own idea of what is the coolest thing to be happening in that situation. Like, let's say the party in general is having a really hot day. You know. And, you know, some of the players may have, you know, more of that anime or video game idea, and so their idea of rule of cool is like actual, like, impossible things to do. And then you have other people that have the idea of, you know above average but still plausible within reality sort of things going on. And so it comes up to the DM to find find a middle ground there. You know, even in this world of fantasy, the reason why it has laws of physics is in some way to dictate the laws of physics still. But yeah, I mean, as you said, sometimes they don't have an answer for everything, and you got to make something up.
0: <laughs> when, when I think of the Rule of Cool, I think for us, uh, as, as impressive as the days of, uh, of T-Ball and Forest Fire were in the beginning, two of our, two of our characters in one of the first campaigns... Uh, I mean, specifically that episode, the, the campaign, I think was really what it was. It, it was, but I think specifically of the SEAL Team 6 moment where we had, the, there was a recurring villain who the, the DM always found a way to have her escape. She wasn't going to be the big bad, but she was to be the recurring pain in the butt. right? Like she, She'd be like the head of the, the Nazgul before Sauron shows up, who's harassing us throughout all, all three movies. And she had captured us before we had escaped. Uh, we had, had taken out most of her troops, and then she escaped. And we're trying to catch up to her. She's she's a caster, so it's causing issues from afar. And then I got a brilliant idea because we tried to find her through magical means and it never worked. But like all good villains, she had a henchman, her cohort. And like all cheap villains, I had correctly assumed she did not apply any of her protections to her cohort. So instead of trying to scry her, we scryed the cohort. So, we could see in this room where some planning session is going on, and there's part of the room we just can't see. So, we know where the villain is. We know the cohort is there. We know if her, her lieutenants and generals are right there. And in the middle is a, a 10 foot by 10 foot table, and we have a four person party. So, we had planned a, a tactical move where we now, as the caster, would teleport the team in, we'd get a surprise round. Most of us had improved initiative or high dexterity so that we would, we would get our standard action with a couple of casters and then and people who could do some amazing fighting. We'd get to go uh, and then uh, go again and then cause some more shenanigans. Uh, and in theory, they most of them would be on the ground before they do what hit them. Yeah. Uh, and then we you know, figuring this was going to be clever, but there's always that nagging feeling that Tom, our DM, would find a way... For her to escape yet again. It didn't work out like that amazingly.
1: No, because he didn't actually think that this we would come up with this plan in the first place. And like he may have thought about it at some point. You know, I've never had the chance to really ask him and talk to him specifically about that part, but I'm sure in his mind thought about it for a little bit at the table while he's describing the scene and stuff going how can I get her away again but then you know the rule of cool doesn't always have to apply to die rolls and stuff like that Mm -hmm. this was just him effectively rewarding Mm -hmm. us for creative gameplay
0: he he saw us scrying and in fairness some of this and I think we did catch him by surprise he was this was his first time DMing. Was like he was probably the, the world's greatest first time DM. Oh, yeah. ever. And he sees us and his thought was he's flipping through the players' handbook. What can we cast through the scry to mess with them? And it's like, Oh, I got something better. Right? And then we teleported and you have the the, the WTF moment, you know, whiskey tango trot coming from everybody. Um, which for for you A Team fans turned into our uh, Alpha is an Alpha Michael Foxtrot moment of our own. Adios, mofo. Uh, where we, we got the spells off. Uh, we, we Thankfully, when we blooped in, the main baddie and a couple of her lieutenants were in a line. so Like a lightning bolt right down that line. Uh, you know, the fighters, everybody spread out. And it's like, I hit this guy. And as they, everybody moves, it's like attack of opportunity, attack of opportunity. And, you know, we, we do that. And then it's looking at the geography of what's left. And I remember running through and provoking four attacks of opportunity to put myself right in the middle, so I could greater fire burst and take out like six of them. Oh yeah! And then it became there's one guy left. Like it's been a surprise round and one, there's one guy left, and he's running out the door, and he gets he gets like one run down the street, and, it, and then it, he goes spouts, uh, but feasibly right, it took. It took the SEAL teams longer to take down Bin Laden when they exited the plane than it took for us to bloop in and, and wipe out the bad guy. And I just remember Tom's like, "Was this, that was a recurring villain She was going to be around for a while?" It's like, "Not anymore." And he would. The, there was no. There was no resurrection later on. There was no body blooping away in some weird contingency. It's like, no, you, you guys were smart. You, you came in. You blooped. You got her. Yeah. right we'll, we'll head off, and then I'll figure something out later on. I give him credit because with that, with that shock, there's a lot of DMs who would have just gone straight with the Deus Ex mock in bag and. Oh, of course. Oh, no, she was really an illusion or, or, or something else like this. Like, despite never having cast an illusion spell. Right, right. But it's, it was interesting because it. In some cases, like the rule of cool gets a lot easier to, to implement and get the DM to accept it when the whole party is involved. Right? Because there it was like, we're going to bloop in so everybody's got their. You're, everybody's focused on a quarter of the room, uh, and then we just you know, we then you know it's at my, my corner, your corner, your corner, your corner. And then we meet in the middle and clean up the rest. And watching how the DM takes that in stride, and then it's like, all right, when we come back for next session, I have some work to do because <laughs> I need to think. Now, whoever the big bad is, will we we'll very quickly learn that his you know his capo is gone, right? And we and, and now he needs to recruit or a new one or send out a different one, and then we get to deal with that. Exactly.
1: Yeah, that one. That is one of the better situations from that. I think also just the very, very beginning of that, even before we became Forest Fire and T-Ball, like the first couple sessions when Dale was playing the bard in that.
0: Novish Bard. And... Who told jokes.
1: Profession comedy. Yeah, profession comedy. And just the whole, like... I don't think he saw it coming. Or, like, Tom saw it coming. And... Honestly, I think the party was split at first for it and everything, but just... Running with the. We chose a NPC for no reason and just crapped on his parade for (laughs) everything. We had just done like an actual quest and this guy asked us for help to go slay some wolves. And so we just immortalized him as the wolf slayer, sent out like Dale used his connections for hiring minstrels (laughs) to just praise this guy and then he slept with the dude's girlfriend (laughs) 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 and it's just like like, I think that right there broke Tom enough to understand what what we were going to do as a party like not Mm. specifically crap on people in a uh, Hazing way, oh. but like he at that point he knew because he didn't even have that as an important NPC until <laughs> after we messed with him. <laughs> then he was like, "All right, cool, we're gonna pep him up a little bit after the, you know, down the line." But yeah, you're gonna,
0: this guy's gonna you're gonna have to deal with this guy later. Yeah, he will remember this. <laughs> yeah, part of me just wanted to look at the DM. He's like, "Take a look at our character sheets. You see lawful in any of these alignments? No, sir. Not evil. Uh, we're just we're chaotic asshole."
1: Uh, I think you and I were specifically chaotic good.
0: Yes, Hans we were. Hansi,
1: we specifically sought out who was a chaotic good, uh, dwarven god. Yep. Hansi,
0: god of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yep, that's the one. We, I mean, that we yes, <laughs> yes, yes, we were. We drank a lot. We won the drinking contest in their fair there. You also won the as the wizard. Won the log splitting contest. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, I split this log. Well, I got a flaming axe. Gosh, I split the log make, too. Make it a flaming axe, do the true strike and get the
1: caught the crit on the times three. Yep. Max damage.
0: God bless him. He gave it to me too. God bless him. It's like oh. alright. <clears throat> you know, once again, rule of cool. Little little stories, big stories. Uh, and now we talked about it before, but I, when I think of the rule of cool, I also think of the party. Oh yes. Because at any point, I could have sent in the harmonium policeman to just break up the whole oh, thing.
1: Oh, you could have had that happening like within the first five minutes
0: of it. Wilkinson could have had spies that had figured things out, uh, but it was like, all right, I'm willing to I'm willing to see where this goes. It's, it's sometimes it's easier when it's not a major plot point like this. This in theory isn't going to have a large effect on the campaign or the world in general or these characters. But you know I mean, we'll it give did, that you it had a
1: bigger impact on the multiverse in general mm-hmm. for these characters, but not the world. This, this is, is true. Our whole plane was still untouched. This besides is all true. the
0: extra merchandise that we had acquired legally. There was another one in that multiverse section where I was and it was something Eric did. That was weirdly brilliant. Because this was in second edition with Frank and Lyle and Timmy and Eric. And Eric, who, when he plays a good aligned character, he leans hard into good. Like, loss can go out the window, but he's going to do what he thinks is right. And I to, that. to tease with that, I made sure he was the one who found the Afridi bottle. So the Afridi bottle completes his commands in a way that follows the letter of the law which then caused Eric some some issues and that eventually got them chased out of Sigil and in, in his fleeing uh, they had a chance to settle up with somebody who offered each of them a pull from the deck of many things and Eric's pull was you are being stalked by some outer planar beast that will keep stalking you until you kill it or you're dead and they, they had previously been at the Celestial Bureaucracy, in second edition, it's where they, in essence, it's an gi- ancient Chinese dragon running a giant politburo bureaucracy that determines, based on your life and your deeds and, and whatnot, where you spend the afterlife, Pandemonium versus the Abyss versus Beastlands versus Celestia. And they had gone through and caused trouble in there many times. Uh, one time going through, when they were trying to get back, a party member died You know, the line takes forever. Frank was like, well, why is this taking forever? Well, we have to study and process. Frank was like, no, and bumps some guy out of the way and just grabs one of those rotating stamps and just randomly starts stamping everybody's soul papers, sending people all over. And then, you know, the big, the dragon deity is like, what are you doing? You're going to fix this. Frank comes out from behind the counter and starts talking crap to the deity. Everybody else knows what's about to happen in theory. Eric gets his twinkle in his eye and, and, and the dragon says you are going to show respect and Frank is like you are going to show respect and, and Eric seeing that the, the stalking beast has come to the bureaucracy and is coming to get him just gets right up next to Frank he's like yeah dipshit get down and suck it to the, the deity of the afterlife and, and so his response was not to kill them because he'd have to deal with them again he just slapped a padded soundproof box around them from which they can never leave. And their characters are stuck in there forever. And in this case, the rule of cool was Eric ultimately saying, I didn't care about anything else other than that thing coming after me. He's like, I don't care if I'm stuck in this box forever with Frank. She's like, technically, I defeated that thing and I want the XP. It's like, okay, I, I can't argue that. You can, there you go, ding, level up. You're not leaving the box, but by all means. And, and God bless it. Things like this, you ever go through um, celestial bureaucracy, there's this, the line splits in two to go around this weird 5x10 box that is just stuck right in the middle of the line. Uh, you go through Sigle you'll still see some worn banners of the Sir Thomas Wilkinson Memorial Concert. Like The rule of cool is, is, in some cases, more than just, all right, you did something awesome, but to make sure that it is remembered over time.
1: Exactly. And I think uh, a more recent one, uh, uh, mostly with your... Because uh, it was the same Goliath, I think, that took down the dragon. Yes. Diana. That was the good one. And that was... comic that was the Lich. Yes. Is, I mean, just an epic story through and through.
0: Lord Somewhere. the DM. Didn't see that one coming.
1: Yeah. Uh, Tom, once again. But at least this one, we followed his... We were the Afriti, and we followed his rules to the T. And this is, again, why Tom is... Was one of the greatest DMs I've ever had, you know? Oh, yeah. He, uh... He sends us a you know, we're going through these different puzzles that the Lich has set up. Effectively, we are all, we're part of a bunch of different groups that are trying to get to the Lich. What your reason for getting to the Lich, the Lich does not care um, whether you're there to destroy him or whether you're there uh, to steal from him or whether you're there to become his apprentice doesn't care. He just has a bunch of these different groups all lined up and so we have Puzzle 1 is emailed to us. It's just a four four or five question logic puzzle and he actually had like different times that we had to beat in order to progress. So we could have just failed this based off of our actual selves yep. and we surpassed even his, uh, his fastest group we beat it by like five seconds. (laughs) And it only took that long to beat them by because I had it figured out and I just wanted your opinion. I was like, does this look right? Uh, Shipping it. (laughs) Go team, right? Go team. Uh, But yeah, then we...
0: uh, The second one was... Is that the four rooms where we each had to go do something by ourselves? It could have been. It could have been. I actually know that was
1: inside of that box, yes. which was created by him. In the box. And that's how we knew of the Lich, because he had different artifacts out there. We had actually destroyed one, because he made all of his artifacts with the ability to be destroyed. Yes. Uh can't remember what the second one it may have just been a room of him monologuing or something like oh no it was the you, the choose room it was the the uh you versus another team thing where you choose uh, their fate so the the what is that gamblers whatever
0: yeah
1: I cannot remember the name yeah, the terminology for that but um <coughs> And so it was, uh, if both players, or if both chose to fight, like, a simulacrum of him before he became a Lich, something happened, or if one chose the simulacrum, one chose the uh of pre-Lich, and then a simulacrum of Lich, and then... Is so it
0: Prisoner's dilemma. Yeah, Prisoner's, prisoner's
1: dilemma. dilemma, yeah, yeah. And so we <coughs> ended up... Mm, Like, we looked at it, and we were like, I don't care what they're going to choose. Despite all of us being really good, and all of us, again, not very lawful, and, you know, some even good players have vices of their own, we needed to prove ourselves, so we were like, screw it, we want the big one. It was (laughs) the simulacrum of the lich. Take it down, broke the dividing wall, and took down the other group and their similar group. <laughs> yep. And as great as all of this is, just us proving our combat prowess and everything, the lich eventually, the real version of him comes down and gives us uh, effectively two options of what to do, but one of them. Has to be chosen, or is, or rather, give him two ultimatums, or an ultimatum. One okay. of the choices has to be we destroy his phylactomy. Yes. Like, he himself said that is one of the choices because he wanted that to always be a choice where if he didn't like the other option, he would take the I guess I'm dead option. Yep. Or I guess I'm unmade option. And talked about it for maybe 30 seconds. 30 seconds at most, and it was just I think you suggested it first, and then all of us went, oh yes. And that was, alright, if one option is we destroy your phylactopy, the other option will be you become redeemed. Yes,
0: redeem yourself. And And God blessed the look on Tom's face. What? As in we had because you had your deity,
1: I had my mm-hmm. deity, and just so many other things. And it was, yeah, if you chose if you choose this, our deities were going to both cast redemption on him. Yep. And that's what he chose. We didn't destroy the Lich. We made
0: him our best friend. That's right. You're going to get out of this? All right, buddy. Yeah. Now, in fairness, it was fortunate I was playing the, the lawful good... Monk Paladin, yeah, Acetic uh, uh, Knight hybrid. Who was the, the Super Wrestler? That's another one. Like in theory, if I'd been playing the soup Kitchen Dragon Shaman, you probably would have said Redeem yourself. Victor would have wanted to like, all right, let us kick you in the nuts a hundred times.
1: <laughs> right,
0: right. And it it was one of those great moments where once again the the rule of cool changed the campaign because I don't... It's another one of those... Oh my god, he's really playing a paladin. Like, this is... Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, part of it was,
0: yeah, but him seeing the
1: light of you, because I think you had quite a few disgruntled characters before this. Oh, yes. gone uh,
0: through at least eight or nine by
1: this point in the campaign. I mean, I was back to my first, but I, w- I had gone through a couple characters, because one of your characters effectively put an ultimatum on me where it was you gotta making my character take the choice to walk away for a little bit. Yeah. But brought her back for the for the end. Um, but yeah, it was just like the rule of cool there wasn't even necessarily facilitated by Tom. I mean he made the ultimate choice because he was the Lich, but he gave us the option to find the rule of cool ourselves because he just said you come up with an option to weigh against I destroy my, or I become
0: destroyed that was, yeah. that was really cool Well, I mean, it, was, it was supposed to be the Pandora's box it's what, with the exception of what we said, what do you say to a lich that's, I mean it's the obvious infinite cosmic power without the tiny living space right? you will serve us Right, right. And, and granted, he may still just blow himself up, but it was it was the how greedy do you want to get option. Yeah. But as, as we talk about that, I think of another rule, cool thing that happened with that campaign. As uh, we talk about the characters, who got to walk away and come back.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Where based on where we were in the story and what the characters were doing, they ended up taking the walk, and then we got to play a different character for a while. And he found a way to keep them tied into the story. Victor, my beloved Victor, Victor James Gilroy, who was a sword sage with some other things, went into Master of Nine. His goal was to collect all nine swords by the final boss, and he, he did that. Uh, I was the first one to take a walk, and his his trademark thing was getting a scroll, drawing a middle finger on it, and then mailing it to somebody. Right? Yeah. So we'd be we'd be playing a different character, and we'd be off somewhere in the world. Like we found a scroll. It's from Victor. What is it? It's a giant middle finger. God, memories. Nice to know he's still doing well. Uh, and then, you know, between him, the big three for me were Victor, Cooper, the dragon shaman, who was the uh, soup kitchen guy, and then Kavik, the the lawful good guy. Kavik, good, neutral good, lawful good. Uh, and there was a lot of people in the middle who who, who came. didn't get the chance to walk. <laughs> this is true. I don't. every, every single other one did die. We didn't we didn't abuse their gear because the solution to that is was the Elvis rules. So they come from another plane, so when they die, they just go home. And take their stuff with them.
1: So let's see here. The only technically, I think, I only had one character die in this because so my first character she had to take the walk because one of your one of your other characters had. Uh, an issue when her girlfriend ended up being evil, so you were playing a paladin at the time. Yeah. Or, or something along those lines. And it was like a, hey, we can't have this. <laughs> that and, was my clerk Oh yeah, it was the clerk Good And clerk. I, like, it gave me the option where it's like, I mean, I wasn't going to abandon her. And this meant that we couldn't be here with the party. So it was a very simple solution since he allowed you to have Victor walk away I was like I mean yeah. yeah, I'm just gonna have to make a new character, Tom. And he was like, alright. And we walked off together and eventually, after a few more characters, you know, she came back for the end. I think immediately after her is when I made the the drug addict. And the reason why you guys couldn't abuse the gear Like, this was the character that died for me, and you guys
0: couldn't abuse the gear, because nobody could tell what his gear was. Yes. It's not even labeled in any language we speak. Yeah, it was... You drink it. It was all potions and elixirs and stuff like that. None of them labeled
1: in any coherent sense, except to his own mind. I knew what all of them were, and I actually had... A list for me to reference the number of what I had just in case me as a player forgot my initial thing but I then kept a list of what those labels were so when the character died I hand I sent over that sheet to him and said this is what my character has yes there was a couple things that were non elixirs that you guys I think may have taken like bracers of armor or something uh, but uh, yeah it was a weird labeling system between color coding pictures and, and stuff like that effectively just pictures of the ingredients and then based off of the color you had to determine if that meant it was something good or something bad or something benign
0: yes just kind of there. Uh, and I think what what made that work wasn't just the DM for how, how cool that got to be swapping the characters. Uh, it was the other players at the table who dealt with the the rotating menagerie.
1: Oh, I, and then my my second one was the, uh, the Archer guy. And the reason I had him walk away was actually the party went through a specific like giant subplot to figure out what the overall was going on and it involved that guy's homeland so when that entire section was done and he had answers he went right back to his homeland Mm because he saved them Yep. and so some of this wasn't even a you're forced out because of party problems or anything like that it was the no I actually had a character complete their storyline <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah just like the party in general going through it and the all of the subplot with uh, Caleb's all of Caleb's characters the, yes his, all of his new characters end up being in some weird subplot of they were all same name same name and all looked the same just had different.
0: Uh, history's like Dollhouse, yeah. right? Like it was right. This guy's a sorcerer. Okay, this guy's a fighter. This guy's a uh, never cleric. Like this guy's some sort of like a bard. Right? And as, you, as we go through the world, we find other people who look just like him with the same name. That that he wasn't even playing. These were NPCs that Tom had thrown
1: out there. I think that's how it kind of started. Like there was a weird. Uh, one of them was out there there was like a mini plot there and then when his character finally died for some reason he was like hey I have an idea since that's a thing that's happening yep. and so he just decided every character he played was going to follow this
0: rule. Did, did we ever explain why that happened in the world? Like I know we are supposed to and I don't think it ever did.
1: Um, so I think because the bad guys overall were like very Lovecraftian and like there's the whole king in yellow sort of thing that was going on in the background. And I don't know if it was based off of an actual like Lovecraft story there or if this was effectively just Kenny from South Park with <laughs> his whole writing with, you know, being the cult thing, and that's effectively what
0: that was. Goodbye, like, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. base
1: it, right? it was related to this eldritch magic that was just threatening everything, but it was... I don't think we ever got any solid... Or, no, his monk was the one we found in that underground thing. I think that was the first one. Yes, like that was uh, timeline-wise, the canonical
0: first guy. Yeah, from the very beginning, before all these loops started happening. Yeah, and then even when we finally got to the big, you know, elder god of chaos, which was, I always just kept calling it the ogre jihad from the first Hellboy movie. Yeah, that just it fit. And it's like even then, it's like all right, we know this is involved, but. Uh, even with the, with the automatic pause, you will sit and listen to the villain monologue. I don't think we ever ever got the the resolution of that story, and, and how the idea. I'm just going to do this again, and this again, it was it was cool, and it got rolled into the campaign. Uh, yeah. So that there was a lot of rolling into the campaign, and then I I would be ultimately remiss if I didn't talk about my my favorite rule of cool. Huh? sitting on this one the whole time, oh, yeah. from the very end of the campaign. Now, to, to, to understand this, we're going into the final boss battle against the Ogre John. Now, the campaign we did previously to this, I ran the campaign, and the final session, when we show up and they've got to take on the, the dragon deity who's trying to come through to the world and take over, we started that session at noon. We got done about 12.30 a.m. Right, and This was like we just ordered ordered pizza in. Like we didn't stop playing. We played for like 12, and a, 12 and a half. Yeah, we. That's right, because we did lunch and then we did dinner.
1: Dinner, right. and then I think it was like only because it was getting so late. Mm-hmm. But at that point, it was like we were grabbing snacks from behind the counter, right. Right. and then
0: came close to a Jimmy John's run because they were still came open. Close to
1: it, in fact, I think there may have been like a minor Jimmy John's run. Bunch of Slims,
0: Jimmy John yeah. Slim,
1: and then I think we were also talking about if we mm-hmm. weren't so exhausted, mm-hmm. we were. Thinking about going to a bar. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, having to drink to celebrate, and and then it was just like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm yeah. just gonna have a shot at home.
0: I don't Salut. because because I was working the next. I don't think I even went home. I think I just slept on the couch there. That yeah,
1: Could, be fair. could be fair. Luckily, we didn't plan it around a uh, pre-release. This is true. Weekend would have been nuts. I mean, I would have slept there too. Obviously, yeah. But yeah but we the we would have been
0: both been dead. But the. So we go from the 12 and a half hour session to the next session where we start at 5 o'clock. Playing at Tom's house, his wife knows we're going to be there late, fine with it. 5.05, we're done. And it was the the setup of a lifetime. Using what has become my favorite rule out of Player's Handbook and DMG. The massive damage rule. And it's a rule that it's based on what size you are. It's small and medium. The number's like 50. Large 60. Um, it slowly works its way up to like colossal's like 90. That if you take this much damage from a single attack or spell, like if you hit somebody with an axe three times and you get over 90, it's not enough. It's like one hit has to do the 90. And with the, the nine swords fully juiced up, right, the, the goal was... I can use the, the the ultimate power of one to time stop, as a guy who didn't cast spells, uh, for a couple rounds to set everything up and then go for the big two-move thing where I do a bunch of constitution damage. Uh, and rules, as written, says you can, it's a maneuver, you can add your wisdom bonus to it. And then the other, and as Master of Nine, I can do two maneuvers at once, and the other one was do a 100 damage. So, eventually, the thing is not affected by the time stop, but his curiosity, like the DM, is... Alright, I, I am the Elder God of Chaos. This guy might as well be my avatar, so I want to see what he's going to do. Because how bad could this possibly be? Uh, also, you know, improved crit with my weapon. I already had a crit range of 18 to 20. So I go to hit him. It's, you know, it's a true strike involved. So it's like a 16 on the die. Alright, I crit. Yes, I confirm. Because tr- the true strike carries through to the confirm. It's like, alright, I deal 200 damage and 40 constitution damage. Let's just mookie this guy right there. And the DM's like, "All right, listen. For the sake of reality, you're just not doing the Constitution damage because that's uh, that's cheesy. I cannot argue this. You know, put in the work. It's like, All right, it's okay. I said, fine. You, know, you had over a thousand hit points. I did 200, but I get a massive damage save." And he says yes, and he rolls that the the one that the big red d20 that flashes red when it hits a, a 20 from I think Think Geek or one of yeah, those places." Yeah. And he rolls the
1: one. I think that's when we said, "Man, it would be cool if it flashed a different
0: color out <laughs> of the one." <laughs> that hits. I jump up. I'm freaking out because this is. like this is just nuts. Pull my shirt over my head like a European soccer player. And start running around his house screaming "goal." Wife took it in stride. Like yeah, these things happen. And I just remember him just sitting there. To be fair, we, we
1: left early, so I mean, if that was the price for us not to be there, like, oh, <laughs> like,
0: oh good, we get to go out and have, have dinner together at 7. All right. Uh, but I, I just I remember coming back to the table, pull my shirt down. Caleb still doesn't, God bless him, he was new to the system, so he didn't quite understand what happened. He knew it was bad. He didn't know for the, for the village. He didn't know how bad. Pond was laughing so hard he almost fell out of his chair. I've... I think he did. I think even... You ran around
1: enough where after, like, the laughing and falling and stuff, like, me and him, before you even came back, we went out and had a few hits of our cigarettes or vapes, whatever we had at the time. We, <laughs> we come back. Came back. Thomas still staring
0: at the dice. Still staring at the die. We're still giggling. I had all these things at his speech and all this other stuff. It's like, well, to quote Victor... Suck it! <laughs> just and God bless it. He 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 did. He basically then went to like the video game end screen and and narrated through everything else that happened because that was just so ridiculously nuts that you know. And sometimes you just you, if they like this was this was dumb luck. This wasn't yeah. cheesing anything. This was yeah, exactly. So. Very basic PHB rules as written. Like show me the money. That's right. You're still my agent. God bless it I just I still there's a few images I, I will remember but I'll never remember, never forget that look on his face of just that Ah, like he's like he's stuck the gerbil fell off the wheel and they had a seizure like a
1: little bit of his fault I'm glad that he took it in stride and did it all he had to do was be like all he had to do was think for half an extra second and say he's a deity he's immune to death effects
0: yes doesn't get a roll. Could've could've done but roll. And when you roll, that means you roll. <laughs> like he could have like luck feet or he gets a re-roll once a day, any number of things. But he he, he went with it because yeah. it was just that nuts. Exactly. Uh, I and mean, I like I, I think of some of the other things I've done like in, in other campaigns we were dealing with these uh, bottleneck in this area, so I, I used minor creation twice, one to build a solid wood frame and then wanted to, to put a pendulum that fit in that frame, so two single pieces, and I just had it swooping back and forth. DM, like, in theory, no issue with it, but it's just the ridiculous nature of this. It's like, I'm going to let it go, especially because the other party members kept running into the line of the, because it was a big medicine ball on the end. Yeah. So it just swing and just knock everybody clear of the hallway. The party would come out, and I'm going to do this. Wham, you go back into the other room, and wham and wham, and... They're just they're just some of the clever things you can do with with magic, but it's you know it's that willingness to go let's 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 see. Like sometimes it's let's just see what the dice say, and if you, you get there, you get there. Right. Which. Otherwise, well, you got eighteen hundred HP to go. Good luck. Yeah. Which
1: I think is back to you know the beginning where you said some some tables don't have this kind of stuff, and it's like. I get it. Sometimes you shouldn't let the dice roll. Like, if it's a greased, 90-vertical, 180-foot wall, no, you don't even get a roll to see if you can run up that thing. But, again, there becomes this problem where, if you allow the roll, player expectation can sometimes Force the DM to feel like the rule of cool should be implemented. And this is where I sort of had, like, you know, some players really like the impossible, where other players like the more grounded in reality. And that's where you can run into the issue. because you rolled a 20, if you don't have, you know, it's a skill check, you don't, you didn't meet the DC even though
0: you rolled a 20. It doesn't automatically win. There's, when it comes to the, the rule of cool, I mean that's a big part of it is, is the DM and, and the party makeup because the what will be defined as cool or the rule of cool is going to shift for depending on who's at the table. And that's a
1: very important. You gotta discuss these things ahead of time. Communication. You know, you yeah. know everything else out that we said. Communication is the most
0: important thing. <laughs> Just like with the Party Cohesion last episode, it's like, yes, you got to be able to communicate and communicate with the DM. Yeah, It's not, uh, if you can make it collaborative, it's a chance to do, you find where that line is and it's a chance for everybody to do those things and, and have fun with it. Especially if you can make sure people are involved uh, and that the rule of cool isn't just something being done by one character. because right? In order for it to have the magic, it can't be something that happens all the time
1: can't be something
0: that is, especially if it's
1: not only just involving one character, but if that action is also sort of antagonistic against
0: the rest of the party. And the party goals, yes. Yeah. sure uh, so you've seen people do things and uh, they think it's really cool it's like, yeah, the, the audience disagrees, right? You should have phoned a friend on that one. And it's I mean, there are times people have tried to do crazy things and then you know, as a DM, you've got to find that line. And, and that can, you know, if, if somebody keeps trying to do that, you know, the rule, like where the rule of cool is, it's the rule is I am cool, and you get in the way. I mean, that the friction that has already built up, we can start boiling over at that point. This, this goes into my thoughts at a DM, and that when you have the opportunity curating the table, it makes it easier to to have rule of cool moments. You know, where you get people who are, primarily on the same wavelength and they're all going to have fun the same way you know once again it's that unified definition of what is cool you know where do we all agree where the line for the rule should be right is this a you know sometimes like the skill check is i is maybe it's not important enough to do it or it's something that's not really important to the story, so you let him have it because it's ridiculous. Of of course. Victor surfing the last plank of that ship over the waterfall, getting the net 20 on the profession sailor, and and then making the balance check Yeah. to just, you know, uh, Johnny Utah, that thing, right over the right over the the falls and land unscathed. Yeah, that that's
1: completely Mm -hmm. different. I mean, you could argue that it's important to the storyline because that was his death or not, but still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At any point, there was a way, other ways for you to bail out and still survive. So plausibility that he
0: should have survived anyway, go with the cooler option. That's, That's right. right. Uh, and even then, I think of Victor. Victor, When Victor did rule of cool things, with the exception of the very end, um, it was something that was never designed to antagonize the player right? Sometimes it is look at the size of my balls, but
1: yeah, sometimes it could have been abrasive, like, the idea is, like, Victor had, because he was with the original group, we had all exited that, uh, the dome the dome, and we were the first scouting team sort of thing and so, yeah, when we found out there were other groups, we all sort of had, like, this no no, why and We and are the A team. And you just took it a little bit, you know, Victor took it a little bit further where instead of it being all about the group being that it was like, well, and I'm the best in the group. And it's like, <laughs> all right. <Yeah. laughs> Dial I'm it back there. Not know. saying you're wrong, but I'm
0: not saying you're <laughs> yeah. right. Let's take a step back, Don Corleone, and think about that one. Uh, but when I think, when I think of all of them, the one that was a you know, really cool give back and it wasn't wasn't something that, that probably would've got a lot of pushback uh, from other DMs, depending. But there was a there was a moment in that campaign where Victor went off to do something by himself because he's Victor. And he went to deal with that white dragon and he got his ass kicked. So bad that he died. But not only did he die, the party didn't know where he went. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's just all right, he's just dead in the mountain. Which I think that right after that is when Cooper showed up. So it, it kind of worked. Yeah. Um, but then later on in the story, we found out there was some, you know, Cosmic cue, whoopee-woo to the, the time stream or whatever where like the chaos magic had horked something. So we had to fix something in the timeline and it reset things back to a previous point. Right. And it was at this point I looked at the DM. That was before Victor died. He's still alive and he's just looking at me, and he's like, you know what? Yeah. Victor's out there somewhere. It's like, right. yes! Uh, and I got it. was one of those, alright. Like, the DM could have simply said, you stuck a, two forks into adjoining light sockets and just said, look at my power. You know, it's, hey, look, I put on a suit of full plate armor, I'm going to go hump that electrical transformer over there. Alright, some things you just don't get to come back from. But he, still, it's like, no, this, you know, it kind of makes sense. It was, it's good for the story, and it doesn't break anything to bring him back. Correct. So it's like, all right, my like really dumb mistake gets erased, because the party fixes it I think of that, and I always, I smile, because Victor did a lot of stupid stuff in that campaign. And that was the only time it didn't pay off. And I
1: feel like uh, Tom had started to worry about that sort of thing with with other people, too, at some point. I remember, I had specifically built uh, this is when my first character finally came back. You know, so I had built her to, uh, you know, she was okay in combat, had access to a lot of spells and stuff. But I had built her to be the J- the Jesus saves. Yep. Uh, not just with evasion, but also had metal So con, or, uh, I'm sorry, fort and will saves that you save for half. You also save for none. And she had ridiculous... Like, she had to roll a one on artifacts. Very specifically, and he got concerned when he had, like, all of the NPCs, like, no, everybody get out, you know, as the giant uh, artifact of disintegration was going to be going off. And I was like, I stayed back because I was shielding other people or making sure that they got out of the blast radius and he was Tom was really concerned and I felt like he was about to delay things I was like no it's okay <laughs>
0: I, I'm, planned I, I, plan, like, I planned for this I
1: plan like I plan for this a in the build and B this is how the character was like I mean she very self-sacrificing you know that's why when you know her girlfriend was going through mental trauma she stuck through it. You know? yeah and uh, yeah and then just the look on his face when it goes off and all of the NPCs are like dusting themselves off extremely hurt and I'm completely untouched <laughs> <laughs> he's like how I was like well if you save it goes from an instant death taking damage which means technically I'm saving for even more than half I'm saving for partial on a fortitude save, <laughs> I take nothing all of my magic equipment uses my save so, so I fine. went through the list of non-magical equipment that I said, that is gone I'm yeah. erasing this yes. <laughs> he was like, wait what? Yeah. and then I just healed everybody up
0: <laughs> That's right. I,
1: here I am a favorite soul. I have healing spells going around. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. <laughs> How you doing? You made the save. Congratulations. <laughs> made the save.
0: Ah, yes. It was. It was an interesting time to see things like that, and what it, what it then led to, and I, I think of in the rule of cool is when, you know, the cool has to be unique because when when it happens again, it's the, the Ocean's 11, or you know, the Ocean's 13 rule, you don't you don't run the same gag twice you move on to the next gag. Oh, of course. And, and I think of the SEAL Team 6 moment, and then the recurring villain issue in that campaign, the Ogru Jihad campaign, because there, there came a point where we keep chasing people through you know, this, these buildings that have an underground area and they keep slamming the door on us and locking it. And then even my dragon shaman with a strength of 20 can't get through the door. I can, if I hit it with max damage, I'm because I had my my pick and my shield. I can deal one, and I got to deal 20 to get through it. So the bad guy always had the opportunity to get away. You know, it's the whole he's getting away from me, Fezzik, and there's no Fezzik to come open the door. Correct. And then the whole time I said, forget magic items. I want an adamantine pick. That's all I want. All I want for Christmas is my Adamantine. It doesn't pick. even have to be magic. That's all I want. And then it finally shows up. And then we deal with this guy again. And he's like, aha, and he close to the door. It's like, fine. I attack the door with my pick. It's like, alright. I deal eleven damage. He's like, Alright, well it takes one. It's like uh, point of point of parliamentary procedure. It's an adamantine pick. I ignore hardness. That door is balsa wood. <laughs> right? I have just Kool-Aid man through the door. Oh yeah. And it was one of those, you know, rules, it's like, okay, and it was one of those moments for me that was like, aha, I gotcha. But it didn't have the same impact as the, the SEAL Team 6 moment, right? No. At best of the thing, and yes, there's a recurring villain, can't get away anymore, because I move faster than him, and his, his ace in the hole was to lock the door, as he had done four times before. So he's looking at me, and he tries to defensively cast a spell and fails, and then... You know, one of the rare times I got the crit on my times four pick is I'm two hand power attacking this thing and just splurked like there's nothing left to roast to make a turkey. And it was like, all right, that's cool, but there wasn't the the euphoria that that just the tingly moment of holy crap, this worked right. This is a there's an absolute certain outcome in this situation. Yeah. So, like the rule of cool needs that that maybe element to it, right? If it's a sure thing, it's not as pool. Correct. You know, it's one of those. If you went in and you knew you'd, you'd be able to win every third bet at the roulette table, you're not going to get excited. Because you know it's going to happen. No, right, no, it's that, Of course not. That unknown of let's see if this happens. Like a statue. Like statue. Oh, good lord! And it was a, a ridiculous idea built on what might be the silliest rule in, in from the skills in the players' hand. I, I can't. I've never really played a fighter, not not well. I'm, my characters need to have an intelligence score, and they need to have skills, it's just how I'm wired. And if you look at the skills, like there are, there are builds where I've in an epic level campaign, I have a creature who's got a jump modifier of 91 before he rolls the dice, right? That's a, it's a like a 32 foot standing jump. But one of the rules in the book uh, it talked about knowledge skills and. Very specifically, with knowledge, architecture, engineering, if you can hit higher than a 30, then in theory you should be able to figure out anything that is somewhat plausible for that world. And as an exemplar, I could take 10 on a skill at any time and I'd set it up so that if I took 10, it was a 31, which which really sped up the planning of my tower because it's like standard action, blast a spell, move action, I'm going to think about building my tower. And I could just... Rack up my my 31 repeatedly during combat, which which was silly but didn't affect the campaign. But the 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 alien two, nuke it from orbit. It's the only way to be sure.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, had I uh, was playing a different. This was the the old lady diviner who was only there for a couple sessions right. before we we got to the paladin. And there's a guy hiding in this building. It's heavily fortified. How do we deal with? It? So what she had done earlier is we, there was a statue in the middle of the town, you know, the big pedestal, the whole thing uh, that weighed enough that she could use teleport object to put it in orbit, while leaving something on there to to be able to you know to know where to be able to locate object. And so you know once again the knowledge of architecture and engineering has an understanding of astronomy, an understanding of physics. Things that, for the most part, would have been known in that, like in the in the age of Galileo and Isaac Newton and whatnot. So it 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 worked. Uh, Even even going back to you know the scientists of of old, uh, old pre-dark ages Arabia. So what she did is she 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 basically blipped up there for a second with teleport, with with an atmosphere around her, so she could breathe. Uh,
1: Yeah, we had. uh we had to pull out spell jammer rules just to make just to convince Tom I don't immediately get vacuum blown up. That's right. This is how it works in D and D. I have the knowledge to know this before I go try and get up there.
0: Correct. So then it's like, all right, I'm gonna do two things. I'm going to you know, I'm gonna be able to use once again that architecture engineering and, and from the various maps and whatnot we have to know once again with a locate object on the other end to act as a beacon. That this is where I want to aim this thing, and then we had I summoned a uh, elder earth elemental to get the, the statue spinning in one direction, an elder air elemental to have it spinning the other way to act as a barrel to just railgun this thing like the uh, like the, the bad guy toy from the GI Joe live action movie right into this house. And as I'm explaining this, it's like this is utterly ridiculous. Right? And, and the whole conception was, the physics, in theory, should stay, I wipe out the continent. Yes. But magically, I'm doing this in such a way as to disperse the force, what have you, so we just nuke the house. And, once again... He did.
1: I think he did end up having,
0: like, there was
1: at least a 500 foot deep crater, I yes. believe. Yes.
0: Yes, we were. We were. We we're getting close we to the mantle a, at that point. We
1: did a lot, and it took out more than just the house. Ha- like there was a block that was yes. destroyed. But at least it was not the yeah. We did not extinct the dinosaurs for the eighth time.
0: That, yes. <laughs> and and the way this block was, there were no no civilians in the block. Yeah, it was warehouses. So yes, warehouse.
1: civilians would have been like thugs. Probably. Yes. Like
0: no no innocent people were harmed in in nuking it for more and it's, you know, it's one of those things you, you think and I can appreciate skepticism because it sounds utterly ridiculous. Uh, but once again, I mean, there's a, there's a degree to the rule of cool where it's like, all right, we're going to try to bypass security with this guy here by doing this as compared to, all right, there's a big end boss and I'm going to nuke him for more. Right. And I think, like, part of the rule of cool is understanding when, for the sake of a campaign, you can be utterly ridiculous.
1: I, this wasn't an end game guy you know I mean, he was late game but
0: yeah this wasn't you know, it was a puzzle piece it was a puzzle piece exactly. and just you know <clears throat> and that thing hitting and just God bless Tom just, where do you come up with this stuff it's like hey it's, it's a gift it is a gift and, and knowing you've seen my movie collection Tom you know exactly where I get this right. from you're Bill Paxton in my head, man. Game over, man. Game over, man. And it's and it's interesting because as I was talking with AJ in the last episode about some of the ridiculous stuff And once again in the penultimate episode of or the penultimate session of the Underdark module campaign, something similar happened where I, I had a, a conjurer who was an archmage at that point who once again had engineering through the wazoo who realized that this stone coliseum where the supports were and then summoned a whole bunch of earth elementals to just weaken the supports when they heard the bell and then I collapsed this coliseum with 2,000 bad guys in it and it's you know, it was one of those oh, the XP really doesn't matter at this point it's like, I know, but it was just cool right. right. had I tried to do that to the tower in which the final boss was in you know, there might have been some issues it's starting to appreciate the sometimes it it works like the plan stuff depending on how kludgy and left field it is you know you, you need to plan when it's going to work and
1: so everybody can get a kick out of it and and even with that like I know there's a lot of situations where specifically our group I haven't uh, necessarily experienced it too much outside of our our usual group but yeah the, a lot of technically I beat that, so that's some XP. Uh, In a situation with how you did it, like, I wouldn't give you XP for every kill. Because, yes, technically it got defeated because of your actions, but your XP is what do you value the CR of the Colosseum? Yes. The people within it, irrelevant. Except for any ones that you
0: had to fight off while getting it set up. Yeah, that's uh, not that's not two thousand CR fives that you're trying to calculate right. Correct. Now. I mean, it's one of those things that you know if, if somebody says you need to do something epic to get into an epic global campaign, it's like that was epic. Hey, let's let's talk about the dragon I wrestled, or the the Col- coliseum I brought down, or nuking it from orbit, or one shotting the ogre jihad, right? Like there's you have these these crazy crazy ideas, uh, and when when I think back to to that type of stuff, uh, you know, having the right party, uh, doing it in such a way that it's it's fun for everybody. Uh, if one player is going to do it for that one player, it really should be a just wonko luck of the die. You know, appreciate where you are in you know, the campaign of the module. And you don't end up breaking it for people. Uh, and, and the last example of that one, where where things broke was The Red Hand of Doom. Came out in 2006. AJ and I have been trying to finish it since 2006. Did a month or so ago. And in that there were five chapters. And what the goal of it is is you find out this army is going to come destroy the city. And you have X amount of time to prevent them from doing so. And help the city build its defenses. And through a combination of skills like profession sailor that let us go up the river and, and, and get ahead of the, the, the time. The you know, Having only two to three players at a time so we, we leveled up faster and got to teleport so we could blip around everybody. And the rule of talk, talking works, where we made every ally. The book said, according to the rules, your players should accomplish some of these milestones. But it should be impossible to do them all. And not only did we do them all, We returned, like you have like 21 days I think it is from the start of this until the the army shows up and the things you do can slow them down. We returned to the city we started with 21 days before the army showed up. We ended with 28 days before the army showed up. We were much higher level than we should have been at this point and we had the skills to in chapter 4, like they have to starts with them breaching the walls where we could fortify the walls and the army couldn't breach it. Man it. And, you know, this wasn't so much an attempt at at the rule of cool, whereas the the right combination of things came together to, in essence, we're just trying to play through the module as efficiently as we could. And it just so happens that the the conditions existed to manifest this utter ridiculousness. And I, I look back, I don't think of that as... The rule of cool. Oh, no, definitely yeah, the, not. The, the final boss fight where we took down the emerging Tiamat in one round before she got to go. Okay, that was pretty cool, and the entire party was there for that. Right. Uh, except, like, and of course, I. Except I've, for me dying the round before you, you it, died, yeah. and I that blast put me to one. Yes. Yeah. The guy with evasion blew, blew a reflex save. Needed a four, got a three. And, and surviving that, dropping Tiamat, it's like, all right. You know, the party got to come together and do something utterly amazing. That was cool. The, yeah, your rules don't apply to us up to that point. Not so much. And it's.
1: I, I think finding. The issue is having been working on it for so long, like the 16 years and stuff. And I haven't uh, been uh, in too many campaigns that AJ has. DM'd. whereas if you were the one DMing it, like, specifically with making it impossible for the thing to get breached, I feel you would have ran with that. Not the, like, we're destroying every combat, but had we found that without, you know, necessarily becoming overpowered for every combat, and we just found a creative way where literally this army could not breach the walls... Your little bit more experience would have made that into a rule of cool where it would have been, yeah, they actually can't. You know, this is some sort of frustrating thing that they don't. But then you would have also implemented is, it it's now harder to get to the boss because this army will not leave.
0: They're going to starve you out. They are
1: going to siege you out. They are going to starve you. You have no supply
0: lines anymore. You know, so you figure something out. And it it would have wor- it would have worked, and there's there's ways to make the battle work. There's ways to where where you could have been clever as a as a DM. And it's also maybe it's a little harder if you're running a module or you're used to running modules because then it's you know your your guide rails are in the book, yeah. and you know when when the truck hits those and now the guardrail blocks the freeway, it takes a little more thinking to try to undo that without you know affecting the, the accomplishments of the player. Right, and it's it was definitely a a good lesson, and you know a reminder that cool, like there's cool, and there's cool, yeah, and and the one loses its luster if it becomes too common, but when the craziness happens, you just need to embrace it because we're all at the table to have fun, and that is crazy fun. All right.
1: I can't wait to oh, yeah. emphasize these later cuz a lot of a lot of these points can spill over into the next uh, idea that you're bringing or the next topic of conversation you're bringing me on for. Yes. So.
0: As as much as we've we've chucked through an hour on this one. Oh, of course. Uh, the next one we're going to talk about and it may very well break into multiple parts uh, is to talk about character creation. Uh, and I don't know if that's going to be episode 9 or one further down the road. Uh, but the idea of character creation, we're going to look at more than just, all right, here's your player's handbook, make a character. Uh, the idea of, of how you think of, of approaching a given character, making sure the party is all on the same page so you don't have a party of five with nobody who's casting a spell. I don't know why that's ringing in my mind anytime recently.
1: Uh, I've made those work. Not that, in three five, but I've made, made those, those work.
0: Right, you know, understanding you know even the classes that you know who's going to play the cleric and then finding a way that the cleric isn't just the the heal buff bot right and and making these characters even the ones that seem restrictive a little bit more fun Uh, but that will be coming up down the road Uh, right now this is dungeon master eddie with his good friend jeff here on episode eight of the exodus of magic podcast the rule of cool and i will talk to you all later